Hi, welcome to the Guys From Podcast, just one guy answering the internet's questions. I'm David R. Smith, because Sean is sick, and so it's just me talking this whole time. You guys literally get me for however long this podcast takes. Uh, today's question comes to me via at Sean Cord, in the sense that he tweeted at me. So actually, it comes from at David Ron, which is great, because... That's never happened before. So it's just that easy, folks. Sean tweeted at me. I said, yes, that sounds like something I can do, and I'm starting to do it. He wants me to talk about Pearl Jam. Now, you don't understand just how exciting this is to me. I don't often get just a, well, a, a, an audience of as many people who listen to talk about Pearl Jam. Usually I have to fight through a bunch of other people making fun of me for loving Pearl Jam as much as I do. So um, I'm going to take this ball and run with it, and uh, we'll just see how long it goes. Deal? Deal. One more thing I should point out is that I'm recording from my house, not Sean's apartment, because, well, it's just me, so I want to go to Sean's apartment to record a podcast that is literally just me. So if the sound quality is different, that's because I'm using my mic and my computer and... I don't know, there's just a different quality in my room or something. I don't know. So if you get annoyed or whatever, there's not much I can do about it. Sorry about your bad luck. Also, I have a dog, so if you hear clacking in the background, that's her walking around on the hardwood floor. So, Pearl Jam, here we go. I really don't know how to get into this because there's just so many different routes that I could take, I guess. I could start with the history. I could talk about why I'm a fan I could talk about concerts. There's just so many different routes. So I'm going to try and touch on a little bit of everything. I'm not going to bombard you with an hour-long podcast about Pearl Jam like you know our other podcasts have a tendency to be. This is one topic. There's one person talking. There's only so long that it can be. So we're just going to kind of go and see how long it takes us. Quick little history of the band. There are five members of the band. Well, technically there are six, but there are five core members. There's Eddie Vedder, Jeff Amant, Stone Gossard, Mike McCready, and Matt Cameron. The sixth member, his name is Boom Gaspar. He is their organist. He is from Hawaii. He kind of came on in the later years. He's a phenom and just so fun to watch on stage. He's this big, big dude with long gray hair and a big beard, and he just looks like he's having so much fun up there. And I think he's done a lot of really good stuff with them, but he's not... I don't think he does anything as far as songwriting goes or anything like that. He just kind of hangs out and plays on their songs and tours with them and surfs, I think. Anyway, uh, Matt Cameron is their drummer, and he is the only other non-original member of the band. So Pearl Jam has never really been able to hold on to a drummer. They had four other drummers over one, two, three, four, five albums so that didn't really make for a lot of regularity, and I think it was actually pretty tough on the band. So they had Jack Irons, Dave Abruzzese, I think is his name. And I mean that in the way that I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. I'm pretty sure it's Abruzzese. They also had Dave Cruzen and Matt Chamberlain. So those were the four drummers that they had over five albums. Now, with Matt Cameron, who was actually originally the drummer for Soundgarden, when Soundgarden broke up, they decided, well, Pearl Jam needed a uh, guitarist. They needed a drummer, and they kind of got Matt Cameron to step in. So the last album to be recorded without Matt Cameron is the Yield album, and then Matt actually took over for 
the tour of Yield, and that's kind of when when there became a little bit more regularity with the band. So they did 10 versus Vitalogy, No Code, and Yield without Matt Cameron. And with him, they've done Binaural, Riot Act, Pearl Jam, which is their self-titled slash also called Avocado, depending on if you're a fan or not, uh, Backspacer and Lightning Bolt. Sean likes to read me for Backspacer and Lightning Bolt because they're not really original sounding names, but he's not here, so I'm just going to say to hell with you, Sean, and I like those names. Anyway, back in the 80s, Mike McCready, Jeff Ament, and Stone Gossard were all kind of kicking around with other groups and bands, obviously as was Matt Cameron because he was with Soundgarden. Jeff and Stone were a part of a group called Mother Love Bone. So this group was fronted by a guy named Andy Wood. Andy Wood was like the ultimate... He wasn't a glam rocker, but he just enjoyed arena rock, and he kind of liked to get dressed up and everything like that. So he wasn't like David Bowie in the sense that he was a glam rocker, but he just... He really enjoyed the showmanship. And I think had Mother Love Bone really kicked it, then there would have been some some amazing, amazing Mother Love on shows and arenas, and I think they were just kind of getting to that point. Unfortunately, Andy Wood died. So that was a major blow to the Seattle scene. He was beloved, and everybody really enjoyed the, the, the concerts, and it just, it was it was a crushing, crushing blow. Jeff and Stone were left without a band, and they'd kind of done some other stuff, and it just, it didn't really work out and that was for a while I think they thought it was kind of the end of it well they got together and started jamming after some time had passed and they got Mike McCready involved and and uh then they needed a front man and so there was this guy named Ed who was surfing and working at a gas station down in San Diego and apparently they they decided that they they liked they wanted to hear him essentially and so they they got him they sent them their demo tape of a few songs and he actually recorded some lyrics, and sent it back to the guys. While they decided that they really liked his sound, and Ed really didn't want to be the sort of guy who worked at a gas station his entire life, so he went up to Seattle and took a chance. Well, 10 was recorded in about two weeks. That is staggering. There are some albums that take months to record, and this took two weeks. And all of a sudden, they were fresh on the scene. They had song Alive and Jeremy and Deep and and Even Flow and Black. Just this killer album full of heartfelt songs that I mean Ed is written Ed is written. Alive is written about Eddie Vedder's dad or the man that he assumed was his dad. And just it's it's so personal and raw and this band just kind of propelled themselves onto the scene. This was in nineteen ninety. I was seven years old at the time, or I guess six and change, when the band came into existence. I didn't know anything about Pearl Jam. I think I had heard of them. I'd seen them on Saturday Night Live, probably. But little seven-year-old Dave Smith was definitely not an alternative music sort of guy. I was more into, oh goodness, I don't know, classic rock yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I was a big Queen fan, even from the early days of my existence. My parents got me both the greatest hits and their classic stuff. And, you know, so so I would listen to a lot of classic rock, but I also listen to country music. And I kind of listened to whatever my parents would listen to. And let's be honest, they were not big into Pearl Jam. So Pearl Jam went on without me for quite a number of years. And the older I got, the more I knew that they were around. I remembered... Friends in my in my junior high classes would have some of the albums. I remember one guy had Yield, and and it never really 
interested me. And this is as somebody, this is kind of like confessional time for, for me because I feel a little ashamed that, that even Junior High Dave wasn't as big a fan as he is now. But, you know, it, it, we'll get there. So they just kind of kept going and kept putting out albums. And it wasn't until I was probably 14 or 15 when I first heard Pearl Jam and realized who they were and how much I liked them. I remember my cousin Sean coming down into our into the valley at our cabin with his ghetto blaster and he was playing 10 and he had Jeremy playing on the ghetto blaster and that was kind of the moment that I was a convert I wouldn't say that I immediately went out and got myself an album but I at least paid attention to who they were and I heard the music and I kind of went oh yeah this is something that I can get behind this is something that I I could see myself liking and so you know, you fast forward a couple more years, and uh, and and I I would go into the to Edmonton with my friends, and we'd go to HMV because that still was a place that sold music instead of what do they have now, like video games and like headphones, and I don't know, it's weird. Have you guys been to HMV lately? It's a very very strange place. Anyway, I went to HMV, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna get this Pearl Jam album. I'm gonna get this one because I know I like Jeremy, and so. I put it on and I listen to it and there's Jeremy, there's Alive, there's Evenful, there's Black, there's all these songs that I've heard on the radio and all of a sudden I go, jeez, this is Pearl Jam? This is the band that, that has, like, I, I know these songs. This is what I've been missing out on? Well, crap, now I need to listen to all their stuff. And to be honest, I didn't really for the first little bit. I bought a bunch of their albums and I listened to them, but it was a little I don't know, it was it was kind of on and off. They still didn't grab me as much as I as I well, as I am a fan now. I I still listen to the Tragically Hip a lot and there was other bands and other music that I kind of investigated and I really didn't know what I was missing yet. I knew that I liked them, but I didn't know just what to expect from them. I didn't know just how influential their music would become for me. So the first time I saw Pearl Jam was in 2005. It was, I think, Labor Day weekend or just after Labor Day. They were doing a Canadian tour, their first Canadian tour in years, kind of the first chance I really had to see them. They were playing Calgary and then Edmonton and Saskatoon, uh, along with a bunch of other places, but, you know, this was the, the, the closest ones to me. So I got a ticket for Calgary, and I got a ticket for Saskatoon with both my cousins, Sean and Ben. And so Calgary 05 was my first chance to see Pearl Jam and to really understand just, just how good they were. Well, the lights went down, and I saw the show, and they opened with Oceans, which is a fairly rare song for... Pearl Jam fans, they know that it doesn't get played that often. A lot of people are are very jealous when it happens. And and I didn't realize at the time that it was that big a deal. I mean, I'm a I'm an Oceans fan, but it's as far as songs on Tengo, it's not one of my favorites. And so I was like, okay, well, I can deal with this, I guess. And I was really hoping for a few songs that that I knew. At this point, I had heard some of their stuff, but I didn't know a lot of it, and so I couldn't really sing along with it. And then, and you know, it just it didn't really, 
it still didn't really grab me. I mean, I enjoyed the show and and I had a great time, but it just I wasn't a convert yet. And then I went to Saskatoon and the road trip was great and Sean and Ben and I had a tremendous time. I I got to golf and I got to hang out with some people that I really loved and so that was pretty cool, but still didn't do much. Well, the next summer they played the Gorge. They did two shows back to back at the Gorge. For those of you who have never been to the Gorge, you need to go. You need to find an excuse, whether you go to Sasquatch, whether you go to Dave Matthews, because he always plays Labor Day weekend, or whether Pearl Jam plays there this September or October or whenever. I've heard there's rumblings, which would be super cool. I don't know if it's going to happen. It is their 25th anniversary, so maybe it will. I don't know. But if it does happen, you need to go to the Gorge, because it is just a magical venue. I went because I heard that the Gorge was really cool, but also because it was back-to-back nights and it was a road trip. You know, there's something so fun about traveling to go see a band. And so I went with, once again, my cousin Ben and a few of his friends and these guys that eventually grew to become friends of mine. And so we road tripped down to the Gorge. And this this was kind of when I realized what Pearl Jam was. I see all these people who flock here from all over the world to play or to listen to the band play and to to bask in the I don't want to say the glory but bask in the the phenomenal talent that is these five musicians and just watch them perform and and with the backdrop of the the Washington River Valley it was just it was an experience that transcended me we watched the first night we camped out we went and watched the second night and by the end of that second night so this is the fourth time I'd seen them. I I knew that my life was changed. I didn't get to see them in 2007 because they played about three shows, and I just wasn't able to get to any of them. 2008, they played Bonnaroo. I'm not going to give you guys an entire history of all the different shows I've seen because there have been 15. I have seen them a lot. But 2008, when they played Bonnaroo, was arguably the greatest night of my life. Well, up until that point. Um, My cousin Sean, who I had gone to see them with at a couple different shows, had been killed the prior Christmas. He died in in an accident on the oil rigs. And I was pretty devastated. I mean, it's it's been nine years. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I never feel like I'll get over entirely. But... Pearl Jam was exactly what I needed to at least make myself feel better. I was really upset for six months. Um, I I was in grad school and I was stressed and overworked and, and I was dealing with the loss of somebody who was more like a brother than a cousin to me. And it was just, it was a really, really hard time. So when Pearl Jam announced that they were playing Bonnaroo, my brother sent me a message and said, we're going. I said, sure, okay, fine, let's do this. And so the festival itself was great. There's something so fun about camping out. And we were there. I think there was nine of us in total. And we just had a great time. The first night we got to see uh, the Tours and Chris Rock and Metallica. And then the second night we got to see B.B. King and then Jack Johnson and then Pearl Jam. Well, my brother, who is like the most ridiculous chatty person in the world, he ended up talking to somebody there and discovered that every 
show, when every show finishes, they clear out the pit. And so if you kind of got in at the right point of the lineup, you could be in the pit for the band that you were there to see. Well, we had to take advantage of this. So we get into this lineup, and we're kind of getting herded like cattle. And as Jack Johnson is playing, we're getting smushed up against this wall. It was brutal. You know, and, and my brother was worried. He, he just thought, like, if we don't get in, these guys are going to hate me because Jack Johnson was good, but I really didn't get to enjoy him because I was getting smushed up against this wall and I just felt like I was going to die. But all of a sudden, that show ended and they released these people into the pit and we are free. And all of a sudden, they let us go through and there we are, mere, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet from the stage. Well, we all kind of gathered together and the the nine of us hung out and and as the show started I I just kind of felt myself gravitating towards the front of the stage and so I'd take a couple steps and kind of sift through a couple people and then I keep take a couple more steps and all of a sudden I was halfway to the stage and I turned around and kind of waved to the to the group of guys to to come and join me and they just stayed by them they just stayed back there and so I was on my own and I just kept going and I just felt like this is something I had to do. And so I kept going and I kept going and I inched my way up and I inched my way up. And all of a sudden I was three rows of people away from the rail. And I just I just felt like I had to be up front. And as the show went on, I tried to get to that rail and I just couldn't. Everybody was kind of there. And one moment there was this this person came crashing over somebody was body surfing and I reached up to help them and as I did their momentum thrust me forward and all of a sudden I found myself up against the rail now granted there was about three songs left at this point but I didn't care I made it to the front that's the first and to this point only time I've ever been on rail for a Pearl Jam show I just felt like there was something that need I, I just needed to get there and we came out of that pit and they had played two and a half, three hours, I think, and they played some phenomenal songs, and I just, I, I was changed. I, I just felt like this was what I needed to kind of make my life right again, and I don't know what what there was, but it just felt like there was something so spiritual, and I don't want to say that in like the God sense, but I want to say there's it was just such a spiritual experience for me and I I came away feeling like a changed person and there's something that live music can do to a person to make them experience that and Pearl Jam has been so good at that for so long for so many people so that was the fifth show of theirs I've seen I've seen 15 shows and I don't want to say each one is better than the last because they're not there are shows from earlier earlier tours that are better than shows from later tours. Um, that 2008 show was one of the best I've ever experienced. But then 2011 came along. And I've told this story to dozens, if not hundreds of people, because it was such a momentous moment in my life. So bear with me here, and then I'll get on to why... Well, this is kind of all-encompassing as to why Pearl Jam is the band that I love so much. The things that they do for people is just out of this world. So 
I told you my cousin died in 2007. He was a massive Pearl Jam fan. And he was always kind of a part of us. And there's always these tours that we just felt like Sean would have loved this. Sean would have just killed to be here. Well, 2011, we had gone on a number of tours at this point, And there was kind of a core group of us. And this was their, their 20-year anniversary. PJ20 had just come out. And they were doing a Canadian tour. They had just done the festival PJ20 a couple weeks prior. My brother had gone to that. And then my brother did Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, in that order. And I was working on a show at the time here in Calgary. And I got a text message from my brother. And it was a picture of him and our group of friends and Mike McCready, the guitarist for Pearl Jam. And I was just... I mean, I was happy for them, but I was devastated because I felt like I should have been there and I wish I could have been there. And I guess they were playing Frisbee in the park and he went by on, on a run and on the way back, they tossed him the disc and he tossed it back and, and they stopped and they got their picture taken with them. And it was just, they said it was just such a cool experience. So I was pretty bummed that I missed it. Well, my brother and my old roommate and I, my old roommate was the one who uh, who got... Who who got my my seat with me? We were we were gonna go to the show together, and so we were sitting on the patio at the pub, having got our tickets, and we're like, okay, we'll have a couple drinks, we'll go to the pre party, and then we'll go to the show. While we're sitting on the patio, and Brent, my old roommate, says, "Oh, that's Eddie Vedder," and I turn, it was some homeless guy, and I kind of laugh, ha ha ha. Well, we we have another pint, and then he goes, "Holy crap, that's Mike McCready," and I think, okay, I'm not gonna fall for it again. And he goes, no, Dave, look, that's Mike McCready. And I turn around, and sure enough, there's Mike McCready walking down, the, down the, the, the sidewalk. So I look at my brother, and my brother goes, go. And so I run out of the pub, and I say, hey, Mike. And I, I, he stops, and I, I trot across the road, and I, I say, hey, I'm just a big fan. I'd like, to, I'd like to shake your hand and just tell you I'm coming to see the show tonight, and I'm really looking forward to it. And he says, oh, thanks, man. And we legitimately had a real conversation. It wasn't just... Uh, you know, he said thank you, and off he went. He actually stopped and asked me about our downtown and about our river, and he was just a genuinely cool person. And so while this is happening, my roommate comes over, and my brother comes over, and my brother, I get my brother to take his, his picture, or my picture with McCready, and and uh, as he's doing so, my brother says, yeah, we met a couple days ago in Saskatoon, and Mike goes, oh, yeah, I mean, sure, he, how many people did he meet, right? And my brother said, yeah, I was one who, who I was playing Frisbee, and we tossed it to him, and you tossed it back, and I caught it. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was, that was a pretty, good, pretty cool or pretty good toss, hey? And my brother said, yeah. And so my brother says, do you take requests? And Mike McCready says, well, yeah, I mean, it's up to Ed to, to decide the, the set list, but I can always suggest songs for him. So, you know, what do you, what do you have? And so my brother says, would you play Deep? Deep is a song from Pearl Jam's first album, Ten, and and it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal track. But it doesn't get played that often. So McCready says, "Oh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we don't play that one that often, you know, mostly because we're scared about screwing it up." My brother says, "Well, I was at PJ Twenty a couple weeks ago, and you guys played it there, and you guys did a great job of it." And he said, "Normally, I wouldn't ask, but..." Our cousin Sean was killed in a rig accident a couple of years ago, and a lot of his family are going to be there, and it'd be really cool if, if you could play it tonight. And Mike says, well, I don't, know, I don't know if I can do it, but I'll talk to Ed and we'll see what we can do. 
And so we don't think anything of it. And we go to the pre-party and we show people the picture of us with McCready and we talk about how cool of an experience it was to meet him. And, and that was kind of the end of it. And so we're at the show and my brother had great seats. I think he'd traded up somehow with somebody and, and all of a sudden he gets these, he was third row or something on Mike McCready's side. And McCready is playing along and he looks down and he sees my brother and he kind of puts his hand to his face. And so my brother goes, oh, he forgot to talk to Ed. Well, a couple songs later, they played Even Flow, and at the end of Even Flow, Ed walks up to the microphone and he says, back when we only had nine or ten songs to play, this one got played fairly regularly, but we haven't played it much. But tonight we're going to play it in hopes that there's a young man named Sean out there who's listening, and this one's called Deep. And they bust into this song, Deep. And I was, I was floored. I, I, I lost my mind. I was screaming and and basically weeping and and the guys behind me were like, Oh, are you Sean? I said, No, it's my cousin. And I was just you guys, I was floored. I couldn't believe that Mike McCready had delivered this message to Ed, and Ed was so touched by it that he said, Yeah, we're gonna play that song tonight. So they get through deep. And I'm 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 a mess. I'm an emotional wreck. Well, here's another little side story. So my brother, my cousin, Ben, who is Sean's brother, four of my other cousins and I all have the same tattoo in memory of my cousin Sean, or our cousin Sean. Um, it's a Gibson Les Paul with Sean's initials and his year of birth and his year of death on our back, on our shoulder blades, or on our shoulder blade. And there's a banner going across with different lyrics. Mine are from Say Hello to Heaven by Temple of the Dog, which is kind of another Pearl Jam side project, um, because that was the last sh show I ever saw with Sean was Chris Cornell, who was the lead singer of Temple of the Dog. And that night they played, or he played Say Hello to Heaven. And so I just felt like it was super fitting. That, that would be the, the lyrics that I have on my back. Well, Sean's brother, Ben, picked the lyrics, We Were But Stones, your Light Made Us Stars, from the song Light Years, off the album from Binaural. It's a beautiful song, and just gut-wrenching. Well, after they finish with Deep, and there's a little bit of a, of a delay, and then you hear this drum part kick in, and it's the drum part for Light Years. And Ed walks up to the microphone, and he says, this one's for Sean, too. And... I was I was a mess, you guys. I, I I was not expecting that. We didn't ask him. We didn't prompt him. That was just something that Ed did of his own volition. And it meant more to me than I've than anything that anybody's ever done, basically. Like he didn't have to do that. He didn't even have to play deep. And yet here he is playing light years as well. And I was I was a mess. I was gone. I barely remembered the rest of the concert. Now, the cool thing that Pearl Jam does is they record all their shows and then they actually sell them for like 10 bucks for a digital copy. So you can have the live recording of any show that they've played forever. And I mean, they come out usually a month or two after the, after the concert. And I picked up that Calgary 2011 bootleg and I barely remember the rest of it. I remember a few songs, but I was so numb from what had just happened that I, I, I barely remember what they played. 
And this is why I love this band. They do things like that all the time. People will send them notes and people will, will meet Ed or Mike or Stone on the street and say, hey, can you play this for me? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But when they do, it is so meaningful to the people that are asking these favors or asking these requests. And it changes people's lives. It legitimately changed my life. I've never experienced that with another band. And I've seen a ton of live concerts. But there's something so nice and so incredible about a band that is able to do that. Now, the other thing as far as their live concerts go is people people just assume that the same the set lists are the same every night. Well, as I just mentioned in that little story about Calgary 2011, obviously they change them a little bit, but you know what? They change them a lot. There is a ton of discrepancy between one set list to the next because they have 10 albums worth to go through and then they cover songs and they have, they also have an album called Lost Dogs, which is a bunch of songs that never got released on any other studio albums. And then they have other songs. They have a song called Man of the Hour, which is on the Big Fish soundtrack. It's the final song that plays over the credits. They have a ton of songs that they can draw from that they don't have to play the same songs every night and they don't. And this is why I'm able to see them 15 times and not have it feel stagnant because every time I go see them, it's something different. A few years ago, my brother and my cousin Ben and I went to Boston for a sports trip, but it also happened to coincide with when Pearl Jam played Hartford. So we went to the Hartford show and I literally heard 13 songs that I had never heard Pearl Jam play before. Out of, I don't know, let's say they played 25 songs, half of them were, were songs that I had never heard before. This is another reason why they're so good and another reason why we'll go see them over and over and over again. But you want to know the final reason why I will see this band as often as I can for as long as they're around? It's the people I've met. I have gone to 15 different shows in a bunch of different cities. Calgary, Saskatoon, Boston, The Gorge, New York, Hartford, Saskatoon, Tennessee. I might have said Saskatoon already. Seattle, Vancouver, so like nine or ten different cities. Every time I go, I meet new people and I develop new friendships. There are people literally coming from all over the world to see this this band. The last time I saw them was in 2013. I saw them play Calgary, Vancouver, and Seattle. When I was done, when I was on the tour, I tweeted at my friend Joe, who I'd met for all of, oh, I want to say five minutes at the end of a show in Missoula. We'd met on Twitter. We we texted each other when we got to Missoula. We never were able to hook up before the show started, but we were able to hook up after. We met at literally right in front of the sound studio, or the, the sound booth, I guess, the sound station, and... Having never met him, I still knew that this was a good dude and a guy that I just had a, a, a camaraderie with. And so that was in 2012. Well, I didn't see him again for 14 months. I sent, I tweeted and said something along the lines of, I wish Joe was here 
And that was about the Calgary show or the Vancouver show. I can't remember which. I think it was about the Calgary show. As I was, as the Vancouver show ended, I got a direct message from him saying, don't tell anybody, but I just bought a ticket and I'm coming to Seattle. Do you know how excited I was to see somebody that I had literally met for five minutes? I don't get that with a lot of people. There's some, there's some people that I've met and, you know, I've spent a bunch of time in the same room with and quite frankly, I really don't like them. There are some Pearl Jam people that now, as much as I love the concerts, it's I'm more excited to see my friends and more excited to see these people than I am to actually see the band. I mean, that's probably a little bit of an overstatement because obviously if I wanted to see these people, I could just travel to see them. And so I'm going to see Pearl Jam. But I mean, it's made by, better by the people that you're with. I have friends in San Francisco. I have a friend. Joe lives in Florida. I've got friends in Toronto. I've got friends kind of all over New York that I've met and I've developed these kinships with. And I just, if it wasn't for this band, if and it wasn't for how good they are live, and if it wasn't because that they were worth seeing 15 times, then I wouldn't know these people and I wouldn't have these contacts all over the world of people that I, I genuinely want to see. And I mean, there's just something so nice about knowing that kind of wherever I am, there's there's somebody there who I can who I can relate to because of our love of Pearl Jam. And I mean, I was in I was in Spokane, Washington in February of 2015 and and uh I was wearing a Pearl Jam hoodie and a guy walked past and said, Hey Pearl Jam and we, we had a quick conversation about the band because he saw my Pearl Jam hoodie. It's it's a beacon and and every time I see somebody with a Pearl Jam tattoo or every time I see somebody with a Pearl Jam shirt, I just want to talk to them because they're 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 one of us. And these people are some of the best people I've ever met. And Pearl Jam is the reason for that. So I'm getting all sentimental. And I mean, I've been talking for 35 minutes about this band. And I don't know, it's certainly not the funniest podcast we've ever done because it's just me talking. And I've just got to spend half an hour gushing about this band that I love but I mean I appreciate having the platform to do it because honestly I don't get a lot of chance to just talk about this group of people that I I I would be a shell of a human being I am right now if it wasn't for them so thank you for listening if you made it through this entire thing and um I think that's it if you have any other Pearl Jam related questions, I am more than willing to uh, answer them. You can tweet at me or ask for more podcast topics. I'm sure Sean won't love doing that, but you know, <laughs> if you ask for it, we have to do it. That's the rule. Anyway, um, yeah, that's it. Look for us on Twitter to have a chat or throw us a topic for future podcasts. I can be found at David Ron. That's Ron with two N's. Sean is at Sean Cord. That's Sean with a U. And we are at Guys From Podcast. Or you could always visit the Guys From Podcast Facebook group. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate the podcast. We are available on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, the Blueberry app, Player FM, Two Thumbs Up Media, SoundCloud. Or you could check us out on Stitcher, the innovative on-demand radio and podcast app. If you're looking for our articles or some of the back episodes of the podcast, you can find them at our website, www.theguysfrom.com. This is where Sean would normally ask if there's anything I wanted to plug. I've spent the last 37 minutes talking about Pearl Jam, 
So I would encourage you to go out and listen to a song of theirs. That's not necessarily one of the radio singles. I think a lot of the reason why people don't like the band is because they hear a lot of the radio stuff and go, yeah, I've heard it too much, or it's overplayed, or I don't like that particular song. Find something off Yield. Listen to In Hiding, or or listen to In My Tree from No Code. Listen to one of those songs that you might not necessarily hear on the radio, and those might be your way in. Those are the ones... That, well, they're, they're the ones that kind of got me. Um, lyrically, they're some of the best songs. If you want a really great lyrically uh, lyrical song, check out Indifference off the Versus album. It's the final song on, Indif- or on Versus. It's phenomenal. I'm rambling again. I'm going to stop. Uh, so that's my plug. Uh, Sean would say read our collective blogs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's not Tuesdays and Thursdays anymore. We just kind of put stuff out whenever. Um... We have the Tuesday Tunes. We have Tuesday Tunes on Tuesdays. And we have Throwback Thursdays, which is when we play something from the 2000s and earlier. So there's that. Um, Then go to iHorror, but that's not one of us things. That's a Sean thing, so he's not here, so he can't do that. Special thanks to The Sweets for our wonderful opening music. Check out their website at www.wearethesweets.com. And also, getting sentimental again, special thanks to Gord Downey of The Tragically Hip um, for everything he's done musically. He announced some pretty devastating news to his fans this week. Uh, So I'm taking this opportunity to thank him for everything he's done for me and for music and for Canada. He's been a remarkable, remarkable role model. And, I mean... If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't like music, and I wouldn't like Pearl Jam, and yeah, anyway. Thank you to Gord Downey. Uh, This has been episode 117 of the Guys From Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave. Taking us out this week is Diatesseron and their song Kite Strings. Remember, you can check them out at diatesseronband.com or their other site, diatesseron.bandcamp.com. Remember, if you have an original song that you would like us to feature at the end of our podcast, you can send us an MP3 or the link to your SoundCloud along with any information about your band that you would like us to pass along. We're big fans of the indie community and we want to lend our support. Our email address is guysfrompodcast at gmail.com. Have a great week, everybody. Oh, also, the Guys From Podcast is brought to you in part by nothing. Nothing. It really doesn't pay very well. Me and my vessel know and it's time to go Me and my vessel know I'm old and it's time to go Cause I was just passing through As people tend to do And my body's a glow
the skies in mine eyes milky white and clean as the clouds crystallize stratus crystalline It's time.